Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grow With Us. My name is Evan Barton, and I'm your host who helps create conversations with the innovators and leaders of a growing tech center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The Grow With Us podcast highlights in Tulsa Talent's work, abridging Tulsa talent with tech opportunities, and the revolutionary work around the city. And Tulsa's mission is to connect talented individuals and companies to stimulate economic growth in Tulsa and to create more prosperous communities across the region. Each episode, Grow With Us discusses the growth of opportunities, the growth of communities striving for change, or the tech and innovation that is changing the landscape of Tulsa. On this episode of Grow With Us, we are in conversation with Dr. Julia Kaur, licensed clinical psychologist. We discuss the importance of language when it comes to burnout in the workplace, the effects of burnout, which can cause chronic stress and amplify minority stress, and how to manage and assess mental health as an organization and on individual levels. Dr. Julia Clor, thank you so much for being here. I can't wait for this conversation. Thank you for having me, Evan. I'm really excited to be here. I'm really excited to learn more about what you do for work and, and how you apply that to the people that you interact with and also like what the topic that we're going to discuss on today's episode how you applied that to our workplace and impacted in Tulsa in a really meaningful way. So I'm really excited to have this conversation um, with Dr. Julia. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. So go ahead and tell us, Julia, like what is your story and tell us that our Grow With Us audience, whatever way you feel comfortable. I am a licensed clinical psychologist. A lot of people, you know, struggle with the difference between psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists. So I think that's kind of an important thing to touch on psychologists, we have doctorates. We do not go to medical school. So we basically have a PhD in psychology. And then I specifically have a clinical PhD in psychology. And so my focus of study was learning about human behavior and kind of the clinical side of things. So Mm -hmm. then the non-normative side of human behavior and The majority of what I do is therapy. The majority of what I do, a lot of what I do is trauma therapy, but I'm kind of, I've always loved training. I've always loved teaching. I've always loved um, giving people better language for their experiences. And so in Tulsa has given me this like really wonderful opportunity to like come in and, and start to teach on those things. I have quite a bit of experience as like a teacher's assistant, as a guest lecturer. I've I've done quite a few trainings in my day. So this is a new place where I get to do that in kind of the corporate world, Yeah, which is really new for me because as somebody who's been a therapist forever, that's all I've really done. I've never really been in the corporate world. So I get to kind of come in as a therapist and, and speak to all of these different kind of workplace issues as as a therapist and not as somebody trying to sell you something or something yeah. like that. And workplace psychology is like probably its own field of study, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, understanding organizational dynamics is something that in organizational leadership, it's like, I think that a psychological perspective on that is really conducive to understanding how people interact with each other, how dynamics are playing out, how yep. your needs are getting met. And um, I, a lot of what we're going to be talking about kind of in this episode is is about things that are so important to being a being a worker, I guess, yeah. like or, or like having a good attitude or having a good understanding, I think, about what it means to apply yourself to the workplace in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's I'm really excited to talk more about it. But I also want to continue learning more about you kind of tell us your 
relationship with Tulsa. What has Tulsa provided you in terms of your career or like how have you interacted Mm. with Tulsa over the past couple of months and slash year that you've been here? Well, I think that in Tulsa should also hire me as a spokesperson for Tulsa. Because <laughs> I have a lot to say about it. I so I grew up in California. I grew up in Northern California in the Bay Area. So, you know, pretty big city, pretty coastal elite kind of area. Um, and then I went to school in Southern California and then I moved to Denver and then I met my partner and she's from Oklahoma City. And so we decided to, when we got kind of priced out of Denver, we decided to come to Tulsa where things were a little more affordable. Cost mm-hmm. of living was was a lot more, a lot better than Denver. So I have a lot of thoughts as a Californian yeah. who truly could not have told you where Oklahoma was on a map like five years ago, honestly. Like, we don't I hate a, to say that. We don't take offense to that here. I, <laughs> Which I, I, is not okay. <laughs> That's like not not acceptable. But I think Californians get very, very like kind of hold in in their world and, and they kind of live in a bubble and they kind of think that California is the only place that exists. And so I've really loved being in kind of more of a Midwest, South, you know, Southwestern, however people like to categorize Tulsa, which it seems, or Oklahoma, which it seems to be something different every time. Mm-hmm. But um, I've, it, in terms of career, I've found that that people are so much more willing and ex- and and able to make connections, to kind of network. To I mean, even just being here, this is like because I've. People have just connected me with other people, which is really incredible. I've found that for me as a queer person to be out in Tulsa and to be working as a therapist, I have, you know, a a very long wait list because there's like a need here that there there wasn't necessarily a need for in Southern California or in Denver. But people are certainly really, really looking for like out queer people who are are comfortable with their identity and and being out in the open, I've found that people in general kind of have the like Midwestern, you know, desire to connect, desire to to help like mm-hmm. as much as possible. Like people want from like your car mechanic to your like your boss. Like I think people just want want to like help you, yeah, and want to make sure that you're happy and you're good and. And you have what you need. And That's so good. Less competition, especially compared to the Bay Area, where everybody's trying to get ahead because that's how you survive. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. And I, I feel like we've had that narrative kind of echoed from a lot of folks, um, not only from California. It it really yeah. is just like something about being in Oklahoma or maybe being in Tulsa specifically that allows people that perspective on their hometown. And you know whether it's like comparing it to the rat race of like, oh, we, you know, you got to get ahead, you got to get ahead to, I didn't know people were nice or I didn't know people, I didn't know people like me existed here. It's kind of been so many of those stories and which is good. That means that people are finding community and they're finding the good things about um, a place that they might not have considered before. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. Tulsa has like been a place that has embraced you from what I can tell and and you've embraced it back, which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And, and on top of that, it's, I think it's a fun little town and there's enough of what you, you need here, but 
yeah, I, I certainly have been able to make steps even in a year in my career that I don't think I would have been able to make in a different city Yeah, um, just because of how much effort it would take to do that. Yeah. And I, and I want to touch back on the point about the need for visibility and your identity when it comes to mental health as well. Like seeing like whenever I was looking for a therapist, like yeah. I went and looked on Psychology Today for a therapist that says that or they can either explicitly say it or have it somewhere in like the list of things that they help with, but like identity focused yeah. or like accepts, not accepts LGBT people because <laughs> the therapist isn't going to say we don't right, accept right. them, but like, you know, is able to navigate those identities in tandem with PTSD or like yep. ADHD or whatever other reason you might be seeking yep. therapy. It has to go in conjunction with your identity. So I definitely think that there's a need here because uh, as a member of the queer community um, and growing up here, like we, like me and my friends were like, so are we all going to get the same therapist? Yeah. <laughs> like, because like it was probably one or two people at the time. And I'm glad yeah. to know that. I'm not glad to know you have a long waiting list. I want th there to be like, <laughs> I'm glad yeah. to know you're in, in demand. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think certainly someone from who has a different identity than you can be an effective therapist for you. However, I think the amount that you have to teach your therapist changes a lot when you are working with somebody who has the same identity as you. Mm -hmm. That's I think that's the same for race and, and ethnicity. I think it's the same for gender and gender identity. I think it's it's the same for sexual orientation and everything else. If if you there is some shared background, you don't have to teach about the microaggressions and the in-group language that we use. Mm -hmm. And I remember even something as small as like I was working with a therapist a long time ago who wouldn't stop calling my my girlfriend my partner and at the time that what partner was not a word I was using or yeah. wanted to use and just that like made that me nuance. feel like yeah that nuance made me feel like you're not you don't you can't sit with the language the same way that like someone within community would yeah and that's that's so important. I, I think that kind of brings us to our discussion, too, about the importance of language as it comes to what you talked about in our session a couple months ago that I'm really excited to jump into. And so for our Grow With Us listeners, maybe you're like a therapist on Grow With Us. <laughs> this is going to be a therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like it to be? Yeah, whether you knew you needed it or not. But yeah, I, I just want to preamble a little bit with, you know, a few months ago, Dr. Julia came into our entire workplace and, and doing a lunch and learn and gave us this amazing presentation that we were like me personally had never seen in a workplace before kind of addressing these issues about chronic stress and burnout and these really important conversations um, like related to how we internalize and personalize the work after maybe after five o'clock or even in your interactions with coworkers or how you almost like motivate yourself to do the work every single day. Yeah. And I think these conversations, this conversation was so important and so impactful that I would, I'm really excited to share some really key findings with our Grow With Us audience and Julie and I are going to talk about it. So I'm really excited. From that, I, I kind of love for you to share with, with the listeners kind of what is burnout and some signs of it. And let's just start there. Yeah, starting with all the really easy questions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think it's really important to to talk about the fact that like burnout is a, a 
occupational phenomenon that has been identified by the like international classification of disease. So this is not just like a word we toss around on like social media. Like burnout is like a, a clinical definition that we're using to define an occupational phenomenon. So mm-hmm. I think that's really important. And it's defined in the ICD as um a syndrome that's conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. And it's characterized by three dimensions, which you're going to hear me like talk about these dimensions over and over and over. So feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of cynicism related to one's job, and then reduced professional efficacy. So the inability to produce your intended results in your job. So again, that's like, I'm exhausted. I don't have the energy to do my job. I don't feel connected to my job or I feel cynical about my job. And then I don't feel effective in my job. I feel like I cannot produce the results that I want to produce. Yeah. I think these are, I I love what you said at the top about like burnout, not just being a word we throw around and it actually having like a clinical definition, because I I think that in a world where language is so important, especially now or not, especially now, but language has always been important. I think when it comes to like maybe the workplace and describing what's actually going on, this is where it gets really important. Oh, I'm burned out. I'm tired. Like, oh, I'm burned out. Like I've had a hard week. I think what we're talking about more so is the way that that can affect you long term and can affect your long term happiness and then also affect your growth trajectory. Yeah, that's really where, to me, understanding this concept and understanding those three signs and kind of really knowing what that can how that's limiting you is really, really important Mm -hmm. to I got a really just being a not being a better worker but being a better you for you type of thing (laughs) (laughs) i know that that might be a cheesy way of saying it (laughs) (laughs) but being you for you is so important yeah i mean i think it's important to to like words like exhausted overwhelmed like those are important things also if you are exhausted every single day at work that's important if you are overwhelmed every single day that's important but those are different than the, than the like totality of being burned out. Yes. And we'll talk a little bit about like language that's further than just I'm exhausted or I'm overwhelmed. And like, how do if I'm just struggling in one of those areas? Well, then what's the language for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think too, like socializing these topics is so important so that it doesn't feel like you're throwing them out there just to just to throw it out there type of thing kind of going back to the importance of it being like something psychologically defined and and used in research and things like that so another thing that we talked about in this lunch and learn and in this presentation that is so important as well is the role of chronic stress and also how minority stress can be contributing factors and results of burnout so kind of going back to these dimensions of burnout I'd love to kind of elaborate a little bit more about energy depletion, mental distance, and cynicism. Do you feel like you, or not you personally, but do you feel like you would notice these all at once? How, let's Mm -hmm. talk a little bit more about, you know, how you get from non-burnt out to burnt out. That's a great question. So certainly people can burn out in all three, like, 
the, the overall definition of burnout would be that we are struggling in all three of these areas. And so if you are meeting the true definition of burnout, you are going to be struggling in all three of these areas. So you're going to be feeling like you work too hard at your job and that you have too many tasks to complete to, to be able to get through it. You're going to feel detached from your job. That's kind of that cynicism. You're going to feel like you have a disconnection from yourself, which is why burnout can really affect your identity, too. Like if I'm somebody who social justice is really, really important to me and I work on Wall Street I'm probably going to very quickly feel either disconnected from myself and my values or I'm I'm going to have to or I'm going to feel disconnected from my job. So mm-hmm. either I'm going to have to sacrifice and betray myself or I'm going to have to sacrifice and betray my functioning at my job. And then for efficacy that's going to look like, you know, I have I can't get done the things that I want to get done. I have this low morale and I can't cope with my like kind of ineffectiveness at yeah. work. And so if you're if you're meeting that definition across the board, then you're then you're hitting the definition for burnout. If you're not hitting across the board, if you're only hitting on exhaustion, then you're overextended. So that's the language we can use. We can say I'm exhausted, I'm overextended. And what I mean by that is I have too much to do for for what my capability is you know i have 15 projects on my desk and they're all supposed to be done next week and that's impossible right so i'm overextended if we're really struggling in the cynicism department if we're really detached or depersonalized we're going to be in we're going to be disengaged so you can say i'm feeling really disengaged from my work that might mean I'm feeling like my values don't line up. That might mean I'm feeling like I don't enjoy my coworkers. I come to work, I feel really lonely, mm-hmm. or maybe I only work from home and there's no reason for me to be in the office. So I feel disengaged because I don't have any social support. Yeah. Maybe I feel like if I go to my boss, they're not going to actually help me with anything. I mean, there's a million reasons why we could feel disengaged. But again, if we can identify, oh, it's disengagement that I'm struggling with, I'm feeling cynical on a regular basis then that's really helpful language as opposed to just like, I'm burnt out. Exactly. No, I, and I love, I want to dive a little bit deeper or at least add like a, an observation with cynicism because I think that there's an interesting generational divide element to this as well. Like at least for me personally, I would say that when it came to the choice of, you know, am I sacrificing myself or am I sacrificing like my efficacy at the at the yeah. the company? as I don't know, you can call me a Gen Z or millennial or whatever, <laughs> but maybe just as a new person entering the workforce, yeah. like I have the positionality that I am not going to sacrifice myself. Yeah. And I I don't know if I would encourage other I mean, this is just personally for me how I have understood what my values are that I would rather be so- more solid in my identity and know that I'm bringing that to the table more than the ideals of an organization. Sure. And I and I don't know if that's something that people relate to or share, but I I, I find that that might be the difference slightly between like older generations and maybe new generations, just in how quick the world has changed in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well we even have research on like Gen Xers. So I'm a millennial, so one generation above me 
has very, very different values around even things like social justice. Mm -hmm. So a Gen Xer tends, not every Gen Xer, but Gen Xers tend to to go with the flow and to be focused on success, personal success and and like loyalty in the workplace. Whereas millennials and and now Gen Zers tend to care about things like social justice more. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's because we're we're literally forced to because you know, we There's so much we injustice keep going like this, <laughs> yeah. you know, or if, if that's just the, the way that our values have developed generationally. But that that's going to make a really different employee, somebody yeah. who comes to work and says, well, all I really care about is success. So give me a job and I'll get it done. Yeah, that person probably is not going to feel disengaged unless they feel ineffective. Mm-hmm. So somebody might feel both ineffective and disengaged and those things may play off of one another. I might, I might feel disengaged because I feel ineffective, but a millennial or a Gen Zer might come to work and say, I actually, it's important for my work to, to be aligned with my values and those values are social justice or those values are diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm-hmm. you know? And if the place I'm working for isn't doing that, well then- yeah, I'm going to feel really disengaged from my work. Yeah, no, it's it's that's a great point. And I'm glad we kind of jumped into that a little bit. Kind of going beyond burnout a little bit. Another thing that we talked about was chronic stress as a result of burnout. So let's talk a little bit about what is chronic stress. So chronic stress is kind of the bodily response to burnout. It can also be the bodily response to to anything that's causing stress over time. It's basically the nearly constant state of heightened alertness due to a consistent stressor. So this could be poverty can cause chronic stress, right? This could be being in a in a domestic violence relationship can cause chronic stress. Being a grad student who <laughs> is never meeting their deadlines can cause chronic stress. There's lots of reasons why we can be in a state of, of heightened alertness at all times. But what happens is it causes our body to constantly release hormones like cortisol and adrenaline. And so when we're just running off of those hormones, as opposed to allowing our our bodies to go through kind of the ebb and flow of our our sympathetic nervous system, which is kind of the what's responsible for getting us like kind of alerted, um, you know, if that goes up when when it needs to go up, when there's a moment of anxiety or we're getting close to a deadline or something like that. Um, and then our parasympathetic nervous system comes on to it, allow our bodies to calm down. But mm. if our parasympathetic nervous system can never come online, we're constantly in this this state of arousal. We're constantly running on these hormones that our body is not meant to run on. Yeah. Um, and so uh, lots of really not great things happen um, when we're just running on stress hormones um, and when we're just running in kind of this like fight or flight mode. Um, even something as small as like when we're, um, you know, imagine that like if you're, if your sympathetic nervous system is turned on, you're in fight or flight, you you have cortisol and adrenaline running through your body. Essentially your body thinks you're being chased through the woods by a bear, mm-hmm. right? If you're being chased through the woods by a bear, your digestive system is going to go offline. Um, your neocortex, so the like a lot of the outside of your brain is going to go kind of offline. Um, your um, your blood's going to rush only to the places in your body that are really necessary right now. And so mm-hmm. we can imagine if that happens chronically, that's going to do really bad things to our body. Our 
digestive system is going to be really messed up. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not going to be sitting in a part of brain that's like useful for communication and like memory and like all of these things that we need to be an effective worker. Um, and so what that's going to look like is like irritability, fatigue, headaches, like um, rapid disorganized thoughts, right? Because again, you're being chased through the woods by a bear. You don't need to have like a beautiful, you know, stunning like speech that you're giving at all times. Yeah. You need to be able to just think, should I turn left or turn right? Exactly. Um, we're going to have a hard time sleeping because these are excitatory hormones that are running through our body. And so we're, we're not going to sleep well. We're going to have Again, digestive problems, changes in appetite. We might feel helpless a lot of the time. We might feel like we're out of control a lot of the time. We might feel like, um, you know, we lose even like sexual desire on a regular basis, right? Because again, don't need to be having sex when we're being chased through the woods by a bear. Exactly. And I, I think maybe just a quick disclaimer, like signs and symptoms. This can be all of these symptoms and things that we've just listed can be caused by other things. Yes, thank you for saying that. 100%. <laughs> um, these are not these are not um clinical markers. These are just like, you know, yeah, let's let's understand how this might affect our bodies. Yeah, and and I think the way that you put it is is perfectly like with that analogy of the bear, you know, you are going to it, it's going to be a flight or a fight or flight response. And just the impact that fight or flight can have on you. I mean, just thinking about thinking about the two things that you're doing in a fight or flight, you're either like literally fighting for your life. If if, like you take the analogy further or you're running away or like escaping, like those are those are exhaustive uh, reactions to things. And if your body is chronically, if you're a brain and if you're sorry, if your brain is chronically reacting to that, your body is going to have the same reaction as well. Right. Um, And then. You know, and then on top of that, if you add like any other compounded stress, so this is where we talk about minority stress. Um, so the minority stress model is is kind of highlights the psychological and health effects of being part of a minority or oppressed group. Um, so, you know, this is kind of minority stress model is usually used to highlight things like um, people in the BIPOC community usually have like increased rates of hypertension and heart disease. Um, you know, suicide rates are higher in the LGBTQ plus community. You know, wage gaps increase the stress of most BIPOC women and women of color. Um, so I, th- I think when we're thinking about something like chronic stress, you know, OK, so my work is causing or my burnout level is causing me to feel this chronic stress. I'm always in fight or flight because I think I'm going to get in trouble at work all the time or I'm you know, I have too much on my plate or, you know, I'm so stressed because I feel disconnected from my identity while I'm at work all the time. Mm -hmm. And then you add on top of that, both at work experiences while being in part of a minority group and outside of work experiences, that's going to make for not a great experience. It's just all too much. It's too much. (laughs) It's all too much. I mean, uh, my this is my unfiltered reaction to this is that like how uh, like how do we do it like honestly how do we do it like how do you manage these some of these things about you know the stress of job security is like something that people think about a lot and, and yeah. I, I think it's undeniable that our society is uh, you know kind of set up to require us to work 
for the entirety right. of our lives. Right. And, you know, I, I, it's no wonder <laughs> that chronic stress is probably rampant in this country and, oh, and, yeah. and everywhere, of course, because we're measured by measured by and value evaluated by our productivity. Right. And so I, I think that the reason why this language part is so important is to at least give you a way to navigate it. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. There's something about identification um, as a source of comfort for me when it comes to like my own mental health. Like, yeah. um, and notice how I said di- uh, like identification and not diagnosis. Yes. <laughs> um, I do think that there's like a, a, a important difference between the two. Yeah. Um, one giving notion to or information about something, but rather, rather than like a defined, um, right. I guess, like, definition or you know diagnosis is it's it's an important distinction right um but i i just i really want to i guess just emphasize how important like language is in this um conversation because it it can be an explanation for so many things yeah you know it, it can help you understand why i'm tired at work i'm you know exhausted by my day-to-day the week i i crave the weekends i i need like this thing as a de-stressor and you know if if you're able to have that moment of um understanding or reflection on your circumstances this is a way and a lens in which to apply to that right yeah and and in terms of you know, when you're talking about identification versus diagnosis, too, that's why I would suggest like there's, you know, there's scales you can pay for online. There's like the MBI is the like kind of evidence based tool for measuring burnout. So that's like something that like you don't need to go necessarily talk to a therapist, to talk about burnout. But you I would at least take a measure, ask your company to to give you to pay for a measure for you to take if you're, you're having suspicion about that. And then there's other like free ones online, like um, there's like a perceived stress scale that's like available online. There's the cope inventory, which like is used for assessing ability to respond to stress. Um, there's like self-care and lifestyle balance inventories. Like if you Google that stuff, you'll find something that'll kind of get you in the right direction. But I would touch base with like, you know, either a licensed mental health professional. I would touch base with like, you know, your HR, like those places to kind of see, you know, I'm I'm seeing these, these things. Does this seem accurate? Yeah. Well? Yeah. And I, I think that's that's great advice. And I, I think we're going to get into some more advice, too, on kind of how to, you know, maybe you do the identification step and it's like, oh, I'm really concerned or I am showing early signs of X, Y, and Z, which can lead to burnout, like, or you're recognizing the impact that minority stress is having on you and and being a part of a, a marginalized community um, how, and how that's affecting you in the workplace. These are all things that you might do. And now it, then it's time to do something about it. What can you as an individual do? And also, how are you advising organizations or companies to think about this a little bit more holistically? You asked about how do we prevent burnout as both an organization and an individual? I will say that, like, I am hardest on the organization first, um, because I really think if we're not paying attention to these things, like, we can't just ask individuals to just magically feel less, you know, overburdened by their job. You know, like we can't if if we have given somebody too many things to do, 
there is nothing that they can do about that except for set boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll say first off, like there's a lot of surveys about burnout. So I think there's some helpful information out there. So nearly half of employees say that lack of involvement in decisions contributes to stress in the workplace. So that's a super easy one. Um, Do employees feel like there is Is it a really top-down workplace, which over and over and over and over we learn in um, industrial and organizational psychology is not helpful, like to have a super top-down workplace where somebody makes a decision at the top and everybody just does what they do, but yet we keep doing it, which is so wild. But do, do employees feel like they have a voice, you know, even something as small as like, is there surveys that go out? Are there their regular check-ins? Do you know who your supervisor is? Do you does your supervisor check in on you or does your supervisor cancel meetings on you all the time? You know, is is there um, again, is there a place to ask for what you need and actually talk about these things? Eighty seven percent of employees think that that their employers can help their mental health um, by offering flexible hours, taking uh, encouraging employees to take care of their health encouraging employees to use paid time off and encouraging breaks during the workday. So those are like, again, really small things that we can do. You know, do we have good benefits? Um, Do we encourage employees to use benefits? Have we created a culture around that? I hear, you know, y'all's HR all the time say like, use your PTO, use your PTO. We have it for a reason. And I think that's just one small thing that you can do that's really, really helpful. I'll also say that like, Money matters and like whether or not we're paying people the amount that that is appropriate for the amount of work that they're doing drastically affects people's burnout level, you know, and whether people feel able to meet their basic needs outside of the workplace. Extremely important. I also will say in terms of kind of the minority stress model and how that affects chronic stress. Um, We have to have like people of color in leadership. We have to have queer people in leadership. We have to have women in leadership. We have to have people with diverse gender identities in leadership. And if we're not actively looking to build that and and if companies are not building up their employees of color, they're not building up their their employees that have diverse backgrounds, like then we're not we're not going to be able to do that. When we are we hiring people? to to consult are we hiring people to do trainings like all of that who look like your employees um so that they people feel like they have a voice in things you know i i as a white person doing a training i'm gonna have blind spots um i'm gonna miss stuff and so do we have me and somebody else come in and do a training? Yeah. You know, like how do how do we make sure that that we're that we're thinking about everyone? Yeah, and and there's humility in that too. Like I I think that that is like I I think it's it's just important to return to like that overwhelming statistic of like everyone like not everyone but 87 percent of people think that their employer could do something to yeah. drastically <laughs> increase their mental health in the workplace like yeah. that. That is, again, kind of just going back to um, like how important how important it is for for organizations to be listening to this conversation and and to know that they have you have a role to play in how your workers work and how your people interact with the work that they do and how all of those things. So I I love it. And I think at the organizational level, too, 
there's so many good things uh, that you suggested to us about um, language being a, being a, a good first step, M- making yeah. sure your your employees know the difference between exhaustion, burnout, and efficacy, and yep. like that way you're not looking at an entirely burnt out workforce. You might be looking at a very exhausted workforce. You yes. might be looking at a very um, disconnected workforce and yep. being able to at an employee or at an organizational level um, assess that might allow you to deploy better strategies for dealing with that. Yeah. And I'll also say that like, depending on where you are struggling in those three areas of burnout, you know, whether you're overextended, ineffective, disengaged, or just burned out in total, different things can change to to help with that, you know? So um, workload is is an important thing that can change. You know, the amount of control you have over decisions, accessing resources, having autonomy, reward, so money, social connections, intrinsic motivation in yourself, and then, um, you know, wondering, is the reward that I get good enough? You know, I worked somewhere where I had a caseload of 115 clients, which is literally unheard of yeah i mean it's on it's like unacceptable and um everybody worked insanely hard and then when it came to like christmas time everybody got a blanket at the end of the year you know like there was no bonus there was no nothing and we were told like something special is coming so it's that blanket (laughs) yeah so like am i gonna work that hard if all I get is a blanket? No, absolutely not. So like, do I feel like my reward is is enough? And, you know, maybe for a long time I could subsist in that environment because my intrinsic motivation was high enough. You know, I liked helping people. Um, but at some point that's not going to be enough. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, community is another quality, you know, kind of a work setting quality that can be changed. Um, fairness. Do I do employees perceive there's like equity and reciprocity in decisions and and in allocation of resources and then values? So like all of those things are are kind of qualities of work setting that can be changed. And then in terms of like individual things that you can do, it's really important to know yourself to like know what your early signs are. You know, my signs might be different than your signs about what exhaustion or cynicism or ineffectiveness look like. Yeah. Um, you know, be proactive about noticing it, be proactive about addressing it. So if you are noticing that you're feeling, you know, much more cynical and you're saying things that sound really cynical, then, you know, do I need to take time off? Do I need to to look at whether I'm in a position that's the right fit for me? Um, and then can I communicate, 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 communicate? You know, who do I know that I that is is kind of the person that I go to. Is it my supervisor? Is it, I know for you guys, it, the brain trust is there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of like built-in places to go. Um, and then look at what work setting like needs are not being met. You know, is it is it that my workload is just too high? Is it that I, I'm in a job that I don't care about, you know? And, but do I care enough about you know, money and success that I'm yeah. willing to stay like, you know, um, and then, you know, actually do self-care like and not just like treat yourself self-care, but like <laughs> real self-care. Like, 
what are the things that I can proactively do on a regular basis to feel like I'm taking care of myself? Yeah, that I, I love that one specifically because I think that that's the hardest one mm-hmm. <laughs> in all honesty. Like, you know, how do you be proactive for your own health is as a, as opposed to reactive? Right. Um, because I think that that's a trap that people get into sometimes is that it's like, okay, well, like I am assessing all of these things reflectively. And now I'm like, okay, well, I have to do something about it. But like, if Mm -hmm. you're along the way, you know, or if you have a plan for addressing those things, or you're thinking about, you know, this is the sign you're identifying kind of what you're experiencing as you're experiencing it. That is where um, you don't at least get or you you hopefully won't get burnt out. You might get exhausted, but then you know it's exhaustion and not burnout. So um, I, I would suggest something that I'm, you know, we're in a new year, 2023. I am suggesting for myself and and uh, to do a quarterly check-in with myself. Yeah. Maybe even monthly. Like I it, love that. It might even be something that has to happen that often because I want to make sure that I'm doing the work that I'm doing for the right reason that is um, connected to my values. And I'm, and, and it's for a cause that I care about type yeah. of thing. And that, that is all, that is, that is, that is what I want to, that is how I want to work. Yeah. <laughs> that is how I want to be a person um, in the working world. And, and it might take uh, quite a bit of check-ins to make sure that that's, that's happening. And that's just, that's okay. So. Yeah. And I do want to say too, that like, I'm all of this that I'm talking about, I'm, I'm, willing to like say all these things to to a place like in Tulsa because I trust that that by by leadership asking me to do these presentations that that there is a desire to grow and move in the right direction but all of this is said too out of a place of privilege of like us being able to say like well you know I'm burnt out so I can leave you know mm-hmm. or I can t- I can tell somebody and they're going to do something about it so I think too if like you're also noticing like if I brought any of these things to my supervisor, nothing would be done about it. Or, oh, I work in a company where like this does not happen. Um, you know, I recognize that there's privilege in being able to say like, well, then leave. Yeah. You know, I know that's not an option for everybody. And so the best thing then you can do is just set really good boundaries. Try to set the best possible boundaries that you can try to take a advantage of whatever resources are available to you, you know, whether that's just taking as good as possible care of yourself at home um, or getting, you know, getting a therapist or, you know, whatever you can do to take care of yourself within an environment that's like much more toxic than the environments that we're talking about. Yeah, no, that's I I love that note. And it's it's super important. I, I recognizing privilege is is definitely important to this conversation about mental health because they're there are many work environments and industries that, quite frankly, do not care. Yeah. And that is unfortunately the sad truth. But what we're hoping to arm you with um, through this discussion and through this information is that individually, there's a way that you can know, start to know what your boundaries are and yeah. start to know how you play a role in your own workplace happiness um, and efficacy and the way you live your life, essentially. It really does go all the way to the top with this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) The top being how we live our entire lives. So Yeah, 100%. I mean, again, like burnout really is 
like a, 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 a psychological wound because it affects your identity, because it affects, um, you know, the whole of who you are, not just not just who you are as a worker. And mm-hmm. so this is to me, that means this stuff is not to be taken lightly. Um, you know, like we're not this isn't ju- again, which is why I say let's not just like throw around these words. Let's be really intentional about what these words mean and like let's respond to them with the intentionality that they deserve because yeah. this is this is why so many people walk around feeling dissociated and dis- depersonalized and like totally disconnected from their self because you know capitalism kind of breeds this uh boo capitalism <laughs> 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 no I, I i totally in all seriousness you're you're absolutely right um last lastly i'd love to just round us out with like any more resources that you would want to share with folks um whether that's resources for a company or resources for an individual um what what can folks look to to help them um prioritize their mental health for the sake of their employees or even for themselves yeah absolutely um i would say in terms of organizationally i would look at those surveys that i talked about the mbi is it's like a whole you can you can buy like an mbi thing for your workplace so that would be my suggestion there in terms of individual mental health resources the place to, I, th- I would say the place to start in terms of finding a therapist is psychologytoday.com that's where most private practice therapists advertise the other thing you can do is like if you know what kind of therapy you want which a lot of people don't which is totally normal mm-hmm. but like if you're like you know i've experienced trauma and i know emdr is something for trauma you can google like emdr therapist tulsa and like mm-hmm. that you should get a list that way as well um on psychology today you can like filter for your insurance carrier you can filter for identity like you said mm-hmm. you can filter for all kinds of things so that's really great for those without insurance open path collective is a national kind of like therapists agree to work a certain amount for like lower prices and and you can access those therapists there I think it's really important to talk about Black-owned therapy resources because there just are not that many Black therapists. So melaninandmentalhealth.com and then Black Virtual Therapist are two places to access that. And then a resource that I really like on Instagram is Decolonizing Therapy. They post resources all the time for BIPOC community, for people of color. And lastly... Dr. Core's Therapy Hot Tips. Yes, um, love this. <laughs> your therapist works for you. Um, so if you call a new therapist, um, interview them like they work for you. Ask questions. Ask how if they've dealt with, um, you know, the things that you're dealing with. Ask if they've worked with somebody, um, you know, uh, who has your background or your identity. Um, you can ask for a free consultation. Not every therapist will do one because sometimes we're just have really long wait lists, but um, it's something you can always ask for. Um, get on multiple people's wait lists. Don't just like try to wait for one person um, because sometimes it'll take a long time. Yeah. Um, give feedback in therapy about what isn't working. Don't just like fire your therapist ASAP and give that th- feedback in whatever way works for you. So like I always tell clients, you can email me if that is how you are best able to get your words out. If the response to feedback is weird, 
get out of there. Yeah. Know what you want to work through and or use a session to talk about what you want to work on in therapy. And then also ask about people's style. Are they direct or indirect? What's their theoretical orientation? What kind of interventions do they use? Um, all that. So those are my my hot tips. That was awesome. Th- this has been an amazing conversation. I'm really I'm really glad to have this platform to talk about this stuff because it's really personally important to me. Um, as I'm, you know, continuing to as we all really continue to navigate what our jobs are, how our jobs are connected to our identity and how working is what we will be doing (laughs) and how we will be doing it is very important and how we are um, navigating the world is very important uh, to have mental health in mind and and understanding all these concepts. So I I really am grateful for this conversation. So thank you so much, Dr. Julia. (laughs) You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, thank you so much for being on this episode of Grow With Us. For our listeners of Grow With Us looking for new opportunities, please join our talent network to stay in touch with our featured jobs and opportunities. Visit talent.intulsa.com. That's talent.intulsa.com. And by joining our talent network, you will get access to our newsletter where you can stay up to date with our latest career advice, featured opportunities with Intulsa partner companies, and our placement success stories. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to be notified when more episodes of Grow With Us are released. Let us know what you think about how we're doing by rating and reviewing. And a huge thank you to our editors at Rant9 Production and Jesse Ulrich. This has been Grow With Us. Grow With Us.